This program brought to you by www.ckpcreative.com.au. Again, because now we have um, uh, Karen uh, Hillen from My HR Partners. Karen, over to you. Thanks, Alan. Um, it was so great that Jeanette's just done her presentation because it makes uh, makes it very easy for me to, um, I suppose, tack on to what she's already said. Um, so I was going to talk about employment contracts and there were just a couple of little things that I just wanted to add to what Jeanette had already said about employment contracts. Um, so an employment contract is an agreement between an employee and an employer and it sets out the terms and conditions. Um, an employment contract can be verbal, but it's really hard to prove if it's, if it's verbal. So it's definitely better to have it in writing, obviously, because you can refer back to it. Um, another thing, a contract, um, it can't make an employee worse off than um, the minimum legal entitlements under the Fair Work Act. So um, I think I've frozen. Typical. No, we can. I can hear you, Karen. Oh, you can still hear me? Good. Okay. I just I, Everybody froze on my screen. Sorry about that. Um, so an example would be um, you have somebody who says, yep, I want to work for you, and they say, oh, I'm happy with $10 an hour. You can't put that in a contract and make it okay. Um, so, so just be... You're frozen now. ...where it's the minimums are. Am I back? Yeah, you're back now. Sorry. Um, typical, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, just gets, educate yourself and make sure that you get some advice about um, what those minimum entitlements are. So um, even if you think you're doing the right thing, um, that you can satisfy yourself that you are. And then you're not putting anything that shouldn't be in a contract. So just be aware. You can't say $10 an hour. One I had the other day is I had somebody saying, oh, we have um, permanent employees and we've negotiated with them that they only get two weeks annual leave. So we want to put that in a contract. Oh, no, sorry, you cannot. Oh, but they've agreed to it. No. <laughs> um, so check those things before you make those agreements. Um, she was absolutely shocked that... She couldn't do that because they were getting paid way above award rates. So why can't you do it? So um, so it's really good to get some advice to make sure that you understand what you can and can't negotiate on. Um, so obviously those things, um, the th sorts of things that you want to cover in a contract, um, location, probation period, um, leave entitlements, um, what the person's start date is. Um, references to policies and things like confidentiality and if you've got any restraint of trade um, restrictions after somebody leaves you. Um, so HR policies um, are probably, um, you know, a, and a, a sort of an addendum, I suppose, in a way. They're not an addendum, but an extra piece of um, rules, if you like, um, for your business. So they basically do set the rules for your business in relation to um, workplace conduct and what employees can and can't do. 
So some of those things will be related to legislation. So things like leave entitlements, what what the um, entitlements are, um, and then other things like anti-discrimination, um, EEO, and things that are ruled by legislation. Um, it's good to have those things in your policy so people know what their entitlements are. Also things like what's your grievance policy? Code of conduct should be really, I suppose, the centrepiece of your HR policies because it sets all of your rules about what you expect in relation to employee conduct. And it's unbelievable to think that you need to set these things out, but um, you definitely do need to because um, sometimes people just unfortunately don't know how to behave appropriately. Um, so some of the things that um, that Jeanette was talking about too, you know, social media is a big one. Um, years ago when I was working as a, as a HR manager, um, similar sort of thing to what Jeanette was talking about. Um, we had some, this was in an aged care organisation and we had some employees that were planking. It was the time when um, it was the big, you know, everybody was planking and taking photos and posting it on social media. There were a group of employees that did that. Um, only one of them posted on social media and this was early days of Facebook as well. Um, and there, somebody reported it um, to management, but also the manager was actually friends with the person that posted it. Um, so her excuse was, oh, all of my settings are private, so it was only meant to be for my um, for my friends. The problem was the manager was one of her friends. Um, Ash, not saying planking's bad, I'm just saying in a workplace when you're supposed to be at work, not a good idea. <laughs> um, so what happened in that situation, it was about 10 employees that um, that went through an investigation process and um, that particular organisation didn't have a social media policy because it was early days of social media. Um, so they actually went down the path of um, work health and safety breaches. Um, so it was a long drawn out process. Things would have been a lot easier if there was a social media policy in place. People would have had a better understanding of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. Um, so that's just an example of a policy um, that, that can... Um, guide people on the rules um, so, and also things like bullying, um, drug and alcohol um, policy. Um, there are lots and lots of different policies on lots and lots of different subjects, but they're, they're the, the main ones um, that I usually talk about. Things like PPE for, um, for tradies, so that stands for um, personal protective equipment. Um, so anything where you have a requirement, if you put it in a policy, it's really good because then people understand um, what your rules are. Um, just wanted to briefly talk about the National Employment Standards um, and the Fair Work Information Statement and the Casual Employment Information Statement. Um, they're legislative requirements to give to your employees. So if you don't know what a fair work information statement or a casual employment information statement is, um, I can um, send you a link to the to statements or you can have a look on the fair work website to, um, to get a copy of them. You do have to actually um, give your employees a copy um, of those things. So... Um, 
so yeah, and and they just set out the the minimum entitlements that employees in Australia are entitled to. So things like annual leave, personal carers leave, public holidays, um, the fact that people need to get a copy of those statements, um, some information about um, flexible working con- arrangements, and um, casual to permanent um, conversion. Um. Just to finish off, I just wanted to briefly talk about pay rates. Um, When you're determining pay rates, there are a few things that you need to consider. Number one um, is the minimum um, wage in Australia. Um, And then what sits above that are award rates. So educate yourself on um, minimum pay rates, minimum pay rates if you have an award that covers you. Um, And also there will always be um, market um, rates as well. So um, more and more now, it's so hard to recruit people. Most empl- most employers really should be looking at market rates to see how they can attract the best employees. But you still do need to be aware of what those minimums are um, to make sure that you are not underpaying people. You understand um, things like what overtime rates are, 38 hours is a standard working week. A lot of people think it's 40. Um, so just understanding those things as well to make sure that um, that you're um, paying the correct rates. Um, so Ash has a question. Um, he's got somebody based in the US. An Australian um, employment contract's not going to apply because they're not in Australia. So employment law, um, Australian employment law doesn't, um, refer to people that are working outside. So that would apply to a lot of um, VAs that work in the Philippines, things like that. So um, they're not covered by Australian um, workplace law. Uh, so thank you very much for listening. Um, does anyone have any questions? Well, first of all, Karen, thanks for, for that. Um, as uh, you said, you've got the Australian regulations, you've got the in, uh, other countries' regulations, got international as well. So you really need to understand yeah. that. And as Jeanette was saying earlier on with the contracts, you can have a contract contract created or first of all, make sure you create one. But then when you've created it, if it doesn't comply with the bigger legislations like work work health and safety, it's null and void anyway. So you've really got to have, and this is why I love it today because it's worked out so beautifully with Jeanette followed by Karen showing the connection between HR and the um, having a great uh, lawyer as well, get it all sorted out. So thank you both for that. Jay, you've got a question. I, I, I do, and I don't know whether this is actually a question for Karen or Jeanette. Um, it, it's in regard. I've, I've heard one of my biggest clients. For those that know me, you, you know who it is, right? But one of my biggest clients, they tend to put people on as contractors, uh, and they normally do more than eighty percent of their work through them, which I believe. They, they're supposed to be then classed as employees or something like that. Is is that correct? I think it's, you've got to pay in super and all that as well. That's, yeah. well. that's what I want to know. It's pretty complex. And I think you'd need to, to get specific advice from Jeanette to make sure you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, but I'll just tell you a very quick story about super, as, as um, Phil just said about pay, payment of super. Um, my son <laughs> um, was working for a business as a, contractor for three years he was working full-time for them they were very specific about what he had to put on his invoice it was basically like a timesheet that the invoice that he was submitting 
date, start time, finish time. Um, he was a, um, a carpentry trainer, so he had to list all of the students that he visited, what units of competency that they um, that they covered. And um, so it looked like an employment relationship. And I used to say that to him all the time. Um, they ended up having to pay him $30,000 into his super account because he didn't make a complaint that somebody else did. Um, so then they decided that they better fix it for everybody. So um, my advice is um, make sure you get some specific advice from somebody like Jeanette because um, every situation is different. Um, but, yeah, if it's predominantly labour, there, there's usually um, an, obli an obligation in relation to super and other risks. Um, and there are also complications about whether the person's a sole trader, are they, how, they, how their business is set up. So it's, um, it's very difficult to just answer it in a general way. Okay. You really need to be talking to Jeanette about getting specific advice. Beautiful. Thank you. Bill. Um, yeah, uh, listening to Jeanette and um, uh, and Karen, and the thing of that was because um, a lot a lot of what, what I was listening to are the what ifs, and the what ifs do happen, and as Australia, especially Australians can be terrible at the what ifs. Say, so, oh no, she'll be right. Yeah, no worries, mate. No. But 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 in business, the what ifs happen. The, the strangest what ifs happen, like planking, you know, like the, the strangest things. So. The what ifs will happen in business. So, yeah, absolutely cover yourself with the legalities and contracts and documentation to, yeah, because what is and, yeah. and, it, and it's about assessing what risk you're comfortable with as well. Yeah. Um, have conversations with clients all the time about, okay, this is what can happen. These are the risks that you're taking. What level of risk are you comfortable with? I had one client where, you know, she said, I'm sacking this person today and I said, well, you really shouldn't be doing that. This is what you should do. And she said, and, and these are the risks yeah, and this thanks. is what's going to happen and, and all the rest of it. And she made the decision to sack the person on the day, on the spot. And guess what? The person went to fair work and she had to pay the person money. But she considered that and she made the decision that she was happy to take the risk knowing that she was probably going to pay money because the person was really damaging her business um, so a lot of the time it's about making sure that you know what the risk is when you make the decision um, and, and make sure you have all the information there. But yeah, if you can cover things with policies and, and contracts and you satisfy yourself and educate yourself, that risk is going to be lower. Absolutely. Excellent. Thank you. Adrian. Uh, just um, Hi, Karen. I just heard you say about the, the average or the working week is 38 hours. So what happens when that goes way over? Um, it, it can depend on what's in your contract and what's been agreed to. Um, but again, very quick example. Um, I've got a client who um, they're builders and they have employees that regularly work 40 hours a week, sometimes more. Um, their tradies are on contracts and they get paid way above awards. So they have something in their contract to say, um, this compensates you for um, overtime rates, things like that. But they also had a couple of apprentices and they were paying the apprentices um, award rates. 
and they asked me to do a payroll audit and um, they were underpaying their their apprentices, um, I think over the period of time, it's about $2,500 each because 38 hours is a standard working week. And if you're paying somebody award rates and they work overtime, they need to be paid overtime rates. So again, it can be a little bit complicated. It can depend on what's in the contract and what's been agreed to, but 38 hours is a standard working week. I know a lot of people do think it's 40, um, but yeah, it's 38. So you really need to understand what's in your contract um, to, to make sure you understand what needs to be paid if people do work a lot over. My daughter-in-law is an employment lawyer. She works a lot more than 38 hours a week, um, but she's a senior associate. She gets paid really well, and she knows that that's part of her expectation. Right, thank you. thank you. So it can depend. Yeah, and one last question, Ash. I don't know if this is for Jeanette or Karen or both, but I have a person in the US who's very keen to work with me as a community manager in exchange for free access to my membership or complimentary access, whatever. Is that a formal agreement or how does that work? And can the well, laws apply to me or? So what happens is America doesn't have jurisdiction over you. Um, and if you don't have any assets in America, your risk in America is zero. Um, and equally, Australian employment law doesn't apply to them. This, I would suggest, is a joint venture between the two of you. They provide services to you in exchange for which you provide membership to them. Um, and you should have a time frame around that. So if your membership is an annual membership or a monthly membership, give them a certain period of time um, where they will provide, you know, they'll do that service to you for you and you will provide membership for that period of time. And if the relationship comes to an end, their access to your membership comes to an end and that kind of thing, and that you revisit at least once a year just to check in and make sure it's still working. That's lovely, Jeanette. Thank you so much. That's very kind and generous. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for...